And she learned that if you come into the paddock without being authentic about how you're feeling, if you're come in like, I'm not afraid of horses, I'm good with this. And that's not authentic. The horses won't come up to you. But the people that are really genuine, like I'm a little worried, I'm a little scared that the horses will come up to those people. The horses pick up on stuff. You know, it's not just what we're doing for the horses, it's what the horse is doing for us too. Such a treat to get to interview Jim Masterson. We're really excited to share this episode with you. Jim is a great guy. He's got a great sense of humor, has a big heart. I just can't even imagine the impact he's had on the world through his techniques. We got to talk about some of his background and how he learned and all the thousands of hours he put into just working with horses before he developed and started teaching his technique. We talked a little bit about his collaborations with Mark Rashid and Dr. Peters the power of collaboration over competition, how important going slow versus going deep is when working with horses, and how equine bodywork can be impactful for program horses and equine therapy and equine assisted service programs. And he had some really powerful stories to share. There was a lot more. I could have talked to Jim for hours. Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to him again. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Herd is Calling podcast. This is where we explore the magic and mystery of the horse-human connection. Say no to outdated society and industry norms and yes to our deeper calling and purpose. I'm Josh Williams, who with my wife, Victoria, are your hosts for this podcast. We are the creators of My Horse Journey and My Horse Club. Our goal is to inspire and empower you to a tomb of horses in transformational ways. To learn more about our programs, visit us at myhorsejourney.com. Let's get to the episode. Welcome to the Herd is Calling podcast. We are absolutely thrilled to have the one and only Jim Masterson join us today. I'm going to read a little bit about him for the few people that might not already know who he is, and then we'll get started with some questions. Jim Masterson was the equine massage therapist for the 2006 through 2014 U.S. endurance teams and equine clientele competing in FEI World Cup, Pan American, and World Games competitions. He teaches a unique method of equine body work in which the practitioner learns to read and follow the responses of the horse to touch to help the horse release tension in key junctions of the body that most affect performance. It is a method in which the horse participates in the process that opens new levels of communication and trust with the horse. Welcome, Jim. Thanks. We're so curious. What's just a day in the life what's a typical snapshot either with horses or without horses well nowadays we teach this now you know we give seminars and courses all over everywhere and we have lots of instructors and so my job's changed from working with horses to working with people so but we have two horses here on the farm so uh, you know we still get to we still get to interact with horses i still go out and do expos and do a little bit of teaching but A day in the life of my life is pretty boring right now. I get up, I have my coffee, (laughs) I go to the office, or no, I usually do some chores around here or help my wife do chores, and then I go to the office and do whatever comes up. I mean, it's fun going in, and we do a lot of Zoom calls with instructors, and 
and other the office people, the admin people. And then occasionally I get to get out on the road and go do an expo or I do some clinics with Mark Rashid and Dr. Peters, a couple of those a year. I'm leaving on either Tuesday or Wednesday to drive out to Pennsylvania. We're doing a weekend seminar. There'll be a live Zoom streaming part and that's with Callie King at Horse Class. And so I'll drive out to Pennsylvania, which is always nice to get on the road. And then I'll come back here and then drive out to California in October for the Mark Rashid clinic and with Dr. Peters and Mark Rashid in Oroyo Grande, California. So that that's the day in the life is pretty boring, but the, you know, the bigger picture is I get to go out and have some fun and I get to do fun podcasts like this too. So, yeah. Well, so far we're having fun. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, when or why were you first drawn to horses? Uh, well, I, when I was a kid, we lived in Southern California. I was born there and it was a lot more rural around where we live than it is now in Southern California. So we had a family horse and then a friend of mine, my buddy's dad had a ranch nearby that I would spend weekends and on. And But then I got away from horses because we started traveling. My dad's a pilot, was a pilot. So we ended up, we started traveling and then I got back into horses about 19, well, off and on. But then I'm, when I met my wife, when my wife and I got married here, I live in Fairfield, Iowa. She's a hunter jumper rider. And there was a hunter jumper barn here in Fairfield. There were a couple of families they showed and they traveled, they had a trainer and they would go to different shows around the Midwest. And so the trainer was looking for a groom to groom at the shows and to haul the horses to the shows. She had local grooms, but, and I was between jobs and my wife said, why don't you go to work for Val? And so I did. And so I got back into the horse world on a showing level, you know, competition level as a groom. That's when I kind of latched onto this, the, this idea of following the horse's responses, paying a horse attention to the horse's behavior and let, letting that getting that feedback from the horse as you're doing body work on the horse. And then I realized that it was more effective and it was more interesting because it was interactive front, uh, with the horse. So that's uh, probably in 1997 is when I got into this. Great. I was wondering, Jim, because when I first heard about equine massage, which I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, I was a human uh -huh. massage therapist for a long time. And I met Victoria, uh, who was a horse trainer. And she told me, oh, yeah, they do this on horses, too. And I was like, yeah, what? <laughs> that's so unique. And I went and got your book because it was like literally the only thing I could find. And I was intrigued by the title Beyond mm -hmm. Horse Massage. I was wondering if you could tell us like what and um, that name particularly. It's not really massage. You know, I didn't when I started grooming these hunter jumpers, I didn't know there was they massage horses or but I realized that they, you know, they do a lot of human modalities, probably all of them they, that are they use on horses, acupressure, acupuncture craniosacral, myofascial release, chiropractic, and, and just sports massage. So these, the people that show horses, you know, it's important that their horses are moving well and that they keep moving well, because that's why they're competing. And when you get into the higher levels of hunter jumper and show jumping, they, they'll do, you know, they'll do everything. They take care of their horses really well to make sure that they're going to keep going. And so I would see these people working on horses, either massage or chiropractic or whatever. And I wasn't really interested in doing that and doing a massage. I'd never really thought about it. I noticed these subtle changes in the horse's behavior while some of the therapists were working on them. And that's what kind of intrigued me. That's what got my interest. And I might as well tell you, you know, there's, there are two incidents that really caught my attention. And one was the, there was an old horse chiropractor from New Zealand who used to, he lived in California, but the vets used to fly him out 
to the East Coast. You know, we were showing in Florida, then in Ocala and, and Wellington and Lexington. And he would come out and adjust the horses and our horses, our barns horses were on his list. And so when he came to work on the horses, I would, I was intrigued because one, he got really good results, but two, he paid a really close attention to the horse's body language as he's working on it. And he used very long lever forceful techniques, but he knew how to read the horse. For example, he would make an adjustment on the pole, on the atlas in the neck, and he would kind of get the horse's head around towards his shoulder and he could get it nice and relaxed. And then he'd make this huge adjustment and you'd hear five pops. And then the horse, then he would step back to what he called, see what the horse had to say. And when he'd step back, if the horse dropped its head, it would drop its head and kind of uh, shake its head a little and start yawning repeatedly. That was his uh, indication that he got a good adjustment. Then he would go back and check and everything would be moving in alignment. I wanted to do what he was doing, but, and I would follow him around whenever he was at a show that we were at, but he didn't train people. You know, he's the old timers. They don't share their secrets. You know, they don't, they just do what they do. So, but anyways, I would follow him around and I would drive him from barn to barn and I would hold the lead rope for him. And every once in a while, he would let a little something slip, you know, a little nugget of wisdom that would uh, be pretty valuable. And so that was one thing. But then the, another thing, we were at a show in Estes Park, Colorado once, and uh, the trainer, Val, she hired these two gals to massage the horses. And they did traditional massage, but they started the, the session by running their fingers lightly down the top line of the horse, down the bladder meridian. I didn't know what a bladder meridian was. They were they were running their fingers lightly down just to connect with the horse and get the horse to relax. I noticed as they were doing that, they wouldn't put pressure. They would just run their fingers. And I noticed that every once in a while, the horse would blink, you know, a, a clear, definite blink, like the horse foot was feeling something under their finger at that spot. I experimented with it and they showed me how to do the bladder meridian and some other things. As I went down the horse's top line and I would watch the eye and if the horse blinked, I would just stop and wait and do nothing there because I wasn't trained to do anything. Like I wasn't going to massage it or I wasn't going to do anything. So I just wait there because I'm naturally lazy and I can just wait there as long as it takes. And I just see what the horse, what was going on, what the horse did next. And the horse, let's say, for example, every horse is different. So I get a blank and I'd wait there and some horses, every horse responds a little differently, but a typical thing would be they'll wait, like they're feeling something under your finger and they might blink again and they might drop their head a little bit and start to relax. And then often they would drop their head and start to lick and chew and start to yawn. So that's where I put those two things together while the yawn, you know, that means something. And I came to learn that it means the horse has released a lot of tension in its body. And I don't know, it's a parasympathetic response. So when I learned bigger words, so that's what really got me interested. So I realized that you didn't have to use a lot of force and go against the horse, that you can go with the horse and get the horse's body, the horse's nervous system to release the tension. I could tell we're working with the horse's nervous system on some level because we're not really doing anything mechanical with that type of technique. But we're working with the horse's nervous system and there's one part of the nervous system that holds on to tension and another part that releases tension. And then, well, why does the horse hold on to tension? Well, because it's guarding something. You know, when the horses are in pain or sore, they don't have the option of, complaining and they don't even have the option of showing it you know that if they start to limp right away then in the wild then they become a target you know they go to the top of the menu so there's a certain part of the nervous system that's going to hold on to and block out pain and discomfort and and there's a certain part that'll let it go so if you find out you pay attention to the horse's behavior and you find out where they're holding tension if you wait long enough and light enough and don't put any pressure on that they'll start to release it because if you put any pressure on they're going to internally brace so you can experiment with it. You can put a tiny bit of pressure and you'll see the horse just eyes widen and you'll back off a tiny bit and you'll see them blink. So that's made sense to me. So that's what got me started in, in doing this. 
That's fascinating. I love how you came at that with such a sort of beginner's mind. You know, one of our favorite mm -hmm. quotes is from Shinru Suzuki, where he says, in the beginner's mind are many possibilities, but in mm -hmm. the expert's mind, there are few. Mm -hmm. So I can just see you putting together these things, watching this chiropractor work, who's doing otherwise pretty forceful movements, but has mm -hmm. sensitivities watching. And then you see these ladies doing the bladder meridian technique and the bells are going off. And what's so significant about that as I hear it is just to think of the impact that has now had, you know, because you teach prolifically and there's the thousands of people that have been impacted by those early aha moments of a single person. I just think that's really fascinating. I saw in one of your videos and I, I totally cracked up because you said, okay, you know, here's the horse's head, here's the horse's tail. That's your anatomy lesson. And yeah, and, and I, I really thought that was great. You know, I actually love anatomy and all that stuff too, but I do think <laughs> that kind of gets in the way sometimes when you, it does. Yeah. Yeah. You it does complicate it because you get in your mind, you know, you get in your head about it and you stop uh, observing the horse if you do that. So, you know, starting out uneducated and lazy was a huge advantage. <laughs> so not necessarily lazy, but a little bit, have a little bit of patience to wait and see what the horse's body does. And the cool thing is that so many people, you know, when we grow up with horses, we don't, we're not aware of that, you know, we're just aware that this is a horse. We don't know how much it's protecting itself. You know, we think, oh, it's just standing there and it's, doing it's allowing us to do stuff well it's learned to allow us to do it so that it can survive and so when you just learn to soften way up or lighten up and to wait just wait even in training when you're training a horse to do something you don't just drill it well you a lot of people do drill and drill and drill and drill and then eventually the horse is doing it but you know you know in training when you you stimulate the horse you know you present it with what you want it to do and then when you the first sign that it's getting it you back off and you give it a chance to, to process what it just learned. And then it's really there. They're not just doing it because they have to. I'm like soaking up everything you're saying so much. You're jokingly saying, you know, I'm lazy <laughs> and didn't know anything. But what I hear you saying is that you had the perspective to take a step back and just take more time. And I think as a horse trainer, I've been doing this for a long time. Something I've really learned, especially coming from kind of a performance horse world is just giving the horse more time is like magic, like giving the horse time to process the information. And then you said something, you know, noticing the moment the horse is starting to process or the moment the mm -hmm. horse is starting to maybe start to figure it out, that's when to back off. And boy, I have missed that moment so many times enough now where I'm hopefully starting to get some feel around that magic space of noticing the moment the horse is connected or the moment the horse latches on to the, the information that you're conveying yeah. and then taking the step back and then giving the horse ample time mm -hmm. to actually process and then integrate the information. I would imagine your time spent as a groom and really caring for horses and being in that capacity with them, not like asking them to perform or, or learn something other than just like, yeah. I'm here to take care of you, maybe helped inform that perspective maybe. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I didn't have an agenda. You know, I wasn't trying to get the horse to learn to do something or trying to get the horse to release tension. I was just, you know, so just a being there. So, yeah, I think when we're, I'm just thinking out loud now, but I think when we're around horses when we're younger and we don't really pick up on that or where we've been trained by the people that are the adults that are around us that have not, they never were able to pick up on that. You know, then we just carry that through life with our work with horses. And then when we come across something like this, we think, well, like you said, I, I can't believe that's what I used to do to my horse, you know.
Absolutely. Yeah. But, but there are a lot of old timers that are around that, you know, like the Dorrance brothers that are been around and got that, you know, that perspective from so maybe even people they learned from that. So it wasn't like all, you know, horse people were like rough on their horses or didn't recognize this. They weren't all yahoos. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Well, that's, I heard you say going with the horse. And that's like one of the Tom Dorrance quotes that I just like really try to implant in my consciousness all the time is first we go with the horse, mm -hmm. then the horse goes with us. And I just, I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's interesting. Dr. Steve, Dr. Stephen Peters, he, he, he has the book out called Your Horse's Brain. And I was doing clinics with Mark Rashid. We call them combo clinics or collaborations because Mark Rashid is a horse trainer that really pays attention to the horse and doesn't like to cross that line into making the horse do anything. And he has a lot of wisdom. And when I met him at the, I think it was the Midwest Horse Expo at Madison. And I was doing demos there and I saw that he was there and I go, oh, I, I want to meet Mark, Mark Rashid. And I was really nervous about going to find him and meet him. And I finally thought, okay, so it was Saturday morning. I'm just going to go to my booth. I'm going to get it set up and then I'm going to go find Mark Rashid. I go to my booth and Mark and Chrissy are there. So we hooked up that way because they saw that the way that we do body work with horses is the way they work with horses. And Chrissy thought, well, this would be really good if you guys got together. Chrissy's this way. And so we started doing these clinics together. And then Mark hooked up with Dr. Peters because he recognized in his book that they were on the same page. And so now we do three-way joint connect. Kind of cool. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. The power of collaboration, I just think can't be understated enough, even in professional circles, you know, there's this kind of fallacy of like competition, but I think it's just all about collaboration. And in mm -hmm. a sense, that's borrowing from horse wisdom too. You know, the herd is stronger together, especially yeah. in these niche worlds. It always kind of surprises me how people tend to be polarizing within these little worlds. I'm like, Hey, you guys should all get along. You like, think the same yeah. thing, you know, you should probably be working together. Yeah, there's a lot of competition in the horse world for uh, knowledge. And, you know, we as humans, we want to be the one that, that knows how to do it right. And we want to be the one that knows how to fix the problem. And it's hard to let go of that. I mean, it always comes up for, you know, even for me. And so you're just going to have to step back and say, I, I don't need to be right. All I need to do is to do something that, that will help the horse or make an improvement. Mm -hmm. And that opens up. A, if you have that attitude when you're learning about horses, that helps a lot. Because that, like you said, if you're an expert, you're only open to a few options. And if you're not you're open to like a lot of possibilities hmm. and i'll say the film that was made mine like still water i think it was called mm -hmm. oh, with yeah. you yeah. and mark rashid oh that was that was a moment for me when i saw that i realized and there was like lots of context around we had changed up our life and we're living off grid with our horses were just like all around us and we kind of gone from this very performance centric way of doing horses to like living around with our horses in this nature setting where it was actually kind of rough living but natural living we watched that documentary i think we got it from the library just somehow and mm -hmm. it, it was a paradigm shift for me i was like oh there's people out there teaching this way of working with horses and like you said there's been tom dorrance and ray hunt there's been these spots of this type of relating to horses and working with horses but i wept in that movie it was just like a very short film but it just it was very powerful and that was when i realized that folks like you and mark rashid are out there doing this like and mm -hmm. people are responding to it too. I didn't think that people would be interested in that approach, that kind of non-expectation or non-agenda based approach. And then the concept of brace and getting under the brace, it just opened up a whole new paradigm for me. Yeah. Well, it, it does for a lot of people. And then I, 
I think the bladder meridian was a huge thing, you know, just for me to, that's what caught my attention. And so it's so easy to teach. Anybody can learn to do that. Once they get it, like they know this isn't going to work out. You don't know how many emails I've gotten. Well, I saw the bladder meridian and I, and I went out to try it and I thought, yeah, this isn't going to work. It only works for him, you know, and then their horse like drops his head and starts yawning and it's and tension that it's been holding its body for like who knows years <laughs> and that it just lets it go that just changes their horse there's a little kind of opening there with the bladder meridian to just try it and see then you experience it and then you realize wow there's something else going on here that i've been missing maybe and the bladder meridian you can just go on the, our website and learn it for free or on youtube we have a youtube you know anybody can learn how to do it it gives somebody an opening or a tool that they can try to see oh wow you know there is something else going on here yeah yeah such a clever way to help people slow down i mean it's so hard for us as humans mm -hmm. to just slow down although we tend to talk slow over here in oregon but but just that slow down thing is so good when i was in bodywork school one of my teachers used to say you can't go too deep you can only go too fast mm -hmm. which spoke a little bit to that some of that comes from ida rolf's work who was famous mm -hmm. for doing really deep work but it was really <laughs> <laughs> right but yeah i got Ralph. i got ralphed a friend of mine became a, a ralpher like i don't know 20 years ago or so and i got ralphed and yeah it was deep <laughs> but it wasn't but it wasn't rushed though <laughs> so it was prolonged agony you can know i think <laughs> something we just seen i'm wondering about you because you work with so many people we noticed that people have patterns in their body it was literally like wow i've never seen this horse's right shoulder look like this before and then she's like oh my gosh i have been not able to sleep the last few nights because my right shoulder is hurt have you seen that like horses and people mirroring when i do these clinics with mark and mark's really good at seeing movement in horses and seeing where there might be any, something that's not quite moving or not moving right in horses and same in the rider and he often will say relax your right shoulder and the rider will relax the right shoulder and all of a sudden the horse will move better there are correlations they're there you know and a rider will come into that clinic with and they've got a, a hip problem or something we'll see it in the movement in the horse sometimes and it's subtle sometimes and horses are really good at covering up stuff too so but I think there are, they call it mirroring between the rider and the horse or, you know, two different physiologies maybe. So I think we've noticed it even just like mentally too. The horse person has the brace in their body or the block. It's like Josh will mm -hmm. feel it in the horse's body. And yeah, the person will be like, well, that's where I'm sore right now. Like Josh hasn't even working on the person. He's working on the yeah. horse. And so, yeah, it's just been okay. It's happened enough where it feels like a a thing yeah and it might be the horse might come with other things going on that might be clouding that up the horse might be stuck somewhere else that's causing this maybe to be stuck so it won't be like a direct mirror necessarily but i think that the feedback from the humans there's enough feedback and to show that there are some correlations between the patterns in the human body and the horse's body something that we tend to do a bit of is help therapists and people who like coach and facilitate and work in more healing environments mm -hmm. that are interested in working with horses in their work so they're not horse people you know they're not mm -hmm. come from a performance background or really have experience something we found helping non-horse people that are interested in working with horses in this agenda free but more healing environment capacity mm -hmm. i've been exploring and i haven't really worked this out yet i'm working it out in real time like what is it about body work that really helps people understand and connect with horses i was just wondering if you could share maybe some of your experiences like for example if you've seen people have 
emotional reactions or just like aha moments doing this kind of work? Well, yeah, when we're teaching like a seminar or a course, it happens all the time, you know, when the, when people learn, there are a lot of aha moments, but I know that in like equine assisted therapies, well, there's one therapist I know who works with people. She's a human therapist, psychotherapist, and she works with horses. And when she was explaining this to me, it was pretty fascinating that she'll just take a, a small group of people into the paddock with horses, just horses loose in the paddock. And then just wait and see what happens. And the horses will come up to some people and not come up to other people. And she's learned that if you come into the paddock without being authentic about how you're feeling, if you're coming like, I'm not afraid of horses. I, you know, this is, I'm good with this. And that's not authentic. The horses won't come up to you. But the people that are really genuine, like I'm a little, I'm a little worried, you know, I'm a little scared that the horses will come up to those people. So it, the horses pick up on, on stuff, you know, it's not just what we're doing for the horses, what the horse is doing for us too. These courses, Masters and Method Equine Specialist courses, it's a three-day hands-on course. And then there's, if you want to get certified as a Masters and Method Equine Specialist, the Equine Specialist part we picked up from PATH has Equine Specialist. So in Equine Assisted Therapies, you have the horse and then you have what I thought was interesting. They called it the client, which I would call just the participant, you know, the person that's there for the therapy. And then you have the mental health professional there, but you have to have somebody that's going to be the horse handler in that situation. That's there to make sure that the horse and the rider or the horse and the client are safe to handle the horse part. So you have the human uh, mental health therapist, and then you have the horse specialist, equine specialist, and then you have the horse and the client. And so there's so many different ways that you, that there, that horses are used in therapy in equine assisted therapies. We're hearing that people were using the bladder meridian with their clients on horses. They were showing their client how to do the bladder meridian on the horse and they were getting really good results. It's your, you're just being totally present when the horse, when you're just doing the bladder meridian and then you're watching the horse's responses, you're pretty much, it's almost, it's like you're meditating in a way your mind settles down. You're just watching the horse and you're waiting and just being present like that is huge benefit in some for some therapists. So we started looking into it and we decided, well, we're going to create this simple course. It's not a complicated course just to teach people, the equine specialist, how to show a client how to do the bladder meridian in a safe and effective way, because 95 times out of hundred, it's going to go really well. But every once in a while, you even just doing the bladder meridian, you start to uncover stuff in the horse since the horse will, it'll bring up stuff for the horse where the horse will pin its ears and be uncomfortable, or it might even, you know, bear its teeth at you. So we just wanted to make sure it was safe and effective for somebody that's in that setting. One of the early things that got us really interested in this is one of our instructors was teaching a weekend clinic at a girl's ranch. It was a, I think it was for abused girls or maybe girls from inner city things. And it was a ranch. It was a therapy. It was a therapy place and in residence. And so Lisa taught a, a weekend there and she said it was a little rough, you know, some with some of these girls, you know, they didn't really want to do it. You know, they wanted to probably ride their horse or do something. But she said that after the course, somebody called on the therapy side of the place called the barn side manager and said, well, a couple of the girls had break for after the seminar. So they wanted to do more. So that's when we thought, well, we need to look into this and, and create a, a training for that. There was another interesting story that Lisa told. She was in a setting with, with a client and with a horse and with the mental health person. And she, Lisa was teaching this uh, person how to do the bladder meridian. And, and at one point the horse started yawning and releasing tension. And so the therapist stepped in and said, well, how did that make you feel to the client? And Lisa said, no, wait a minute. It's not about 
the, the person. It's about the person helping the horse. So she had to kind of say, no, this isn't about the person getting therapy. It's about the, the person giving the horse the therapy. And then the person gets the benefit of that. It just happens because you're providing, you're helping this horse and the horse is helping you at the same time, but you can't like make it about the person. It's got to be about the horse. And I said to Lisa, no, it's not about the horse. It's about helping the person. And we said, no, it's about helping the horse. If it's not about helping the horse, the, the person's not going to get the help, you know? So that was interesting that you're not getting the therapy yourself. You're giving the horse the therapy. And in that process, you both get the therapy. I'm so glad you told that story. Yeah. You're touching on so many nuances that we're exploring mm -hmm. and trying to understand because it is very <laughs> nuanced. And, you know, Vic Victoria mm -hmm. likes to say nothing for the horse without the horse. And then we were looking on your website and you yeah. said with the horse, <laughs> not on the horse. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, hey, mm -hmm. all right, we're plugged into mm -hmm. something here. But that paradox of giving therapy is, is one thing I felt like you touched on. And how is it like a one-way road or is it a two-way road? I, I think it's two-way. Yeah. And then the other one is just that whole horse is a tool paradigm, which mm -hmm. is out there a lot in the performance world, obviously, mm -hmm. but it also exists in the therapy world. I think there's more awareness. People are trying to bring more consciousness around that. But mm -hmm. I thought everything you just yeah. said really spoke to that. A lot of the horses in therapy barns are, I think this is just my personal take. They take on a lot of stress from the people in the programs and they end up shutting down. So you can get the horse out, you can put somebody on it, or you can do something with the horse and then the horse will just do it. But the horse is pretty much shut down and a lot of them are rescue horses to start with or retired you know broken down horses that go into that's their retirement job so they they can use this type of body work the horses can and so if the the participants in the programs programs can be the ones to help the horse that's even better or the volunteers they volunteer to clean stalls and groom horses and stuff but i'll just tell another story we have a guy who went through our training and i met him down in florida at a therapy barn because we did a weekend there he wasn't the barn manager but he was like the main horse guy and he learned the masterson method and he would do bladder meridian on these horses. And he said, before he started doing this, the horses would be like, most of them would be standing in their stall with their head in the corner, just kind of shut down and not interacting with anybody and or engaging anybody. And the barn management allowed him to spend time on the horses doing the bladder meridian and some other body work. And he said it wasn't long before all the horses were standing with their head out in the aisle and engaging with people and stuff. And then the barn changed management or ownership at one point. And he didn't have time to do that anymore. And he said within like a month, they're all back in the corner again. So mm. I think what you're touching on is just something I feel like, like needs to be talked from the rooftops, yeah. you know, and our, yeah. that's what we're, that's what we're doing. That's yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. 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 So thank you for bringing it up. Hey, this is Josh. I want to quickly share some exciting news about our community. My horse club, John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Horse wisdom agrees. The herd is stronger together. One thing we know for sure, community is the key that unlocks holistic partnership with horses. The problem is many equestrian communities can feel intimidating, steeped in privilege, or lack vulnerability. My Horse Club is different. We're on a mission to support and uplift each other. Go to myhorsejourney.com to learn about all My Horse Club has to offer. It's so much more than a library of videos. It's direct coaching with Victoria and myself. There's Horse Club Book Club. Every month has a fresh theme and a live masterclass. There's guided meditations, breath work. We even provide 
Path International CEUs. Join us and discover that the joy is in the journey and the herd is indeed stronger together. Visit myhorsejourney.com to learn more and start your seven-day trial. Now, back to the show. And our friend Chrissy and Maui, she's a barn director of a past certified therapeutic riding facility. Mm -hmm. And we equine assisted services, equine assisted mm -hmm. services mm -hmm. facility. Thank it you. It seems yeah. to change. It yeah. seems the title, the name changes every, you know, from equine assisted yeah, therapy to equine assisted learning to equine assisted services. So, yes. yeah, yes. yeah, I have to remember it's equine assisted services yeah. is the from from the, Chrissy's, for especially yeah. from her yeah. world. Yeah, but we were discussing that that shutdown factor because mm -hmm. that's a thing, right? A lot of people that don't understand horses don't realize that's that horse is actually shut down. They're not calm. They're not peaceful. Well, they're not necessarily happy, mm -hmm. they're shut down. It's a different nervous system response. Her idea, which I thought was brilliant, was that there needs to be a PSA campaign for more mindful groundwork. I just feel like adding to that, this bodywork component mm -hmm. is so important. You know, you mentioned the volunteers. Everybody yeah. that works at these barns should have like the mandatory ladder meridian training <laughs> yeah. or, or some kind yeah. of yeah. bodywork. Yeah, because that's what the horses respond to. You know, they're they're like rock hard inside some of these horses. If you put pressure on them, they just shut down. But if you don't put pressure on them, then they and then you allow their nervous system to start to feel stuff letting go. Then that's what makes the change. So it's really simple to do. People say the horses at the, this therapy barn, oh, he's bomb proof. Nothing right. bothers him. And then you go to work on him. And you realize there's nothing moving in there at all, physically or even, you know, emotionally. And so I was just going to say from an equine assisted services perspective, from a human centric therapeutic perspective, horses as healers to humans in that capacity, to me and what I have learned being engaged in that work myself is that the part that is the most therapeutic, the part that is the most healing is the relational aspect between human and horse. And that is impossible if the horse is shut down, if the horse is, you know, not present yeah. or the horse is, to me, the whole point is to develop this relationship with the horse and see where that goes and see what comes up for the people and see what comes up for the horse. And it's dynamic and it's ever changing and it needs to be organic and flowy. And it's going to be hard sometimes and it's going to be wonderful sometimes. Mm -hmm. If the horse is shut down, like you said, rock hard or bomb proof, mm -hmm. that's not going to happen at all. Yeah. Yeah. And some horses you'll uncover stuff just doing body work, this light body work, like this bladder meridian, they've been protecting something for so long and they start to feel it. They've been blocking it out. You know, they survive by blocking out physical discomfort and pain. They just block it out and keep going until it gets so bad that they start to show lameness. But before that, they're just blocking it out. And so sometimes these horses have stuff that's maybe some emotional, tra emotional trauma in the past. I'm just guessing, but something that's happened, they've just blocked it out. Like they've shut down on that. And then you find that like, those kind of horses, like you'll be going over them lightly and maybe the eyelash will move. Oh, there's something going on there. And so you wait there and you just wait and wait. And then they'll start to drop their head and their eye will soften and they'll catch themselves and they'll kind of tense up again. And you just wait a little longer and they'll do it again. And then when they can't hold it in any longer and it's, it'll uncover some discomfort and they'll pin their ears or they'll want to walk away, you know, so you can let them walk away or you can just follow them and keep on it as long as they don't get too uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden it lets go. But, you know, you can uncover some stuff like it. I've had a couple of horses just lunge at me, 
you know, mm-hmm. like I'll do some work on them, you know, and then I'll step back to see what they have to say. And they'll blink a couple of times and they'll just spin in lunge because you just uncovered something. And I've learned to go even slower and lighter over the years mm-hmm. because when I was working on show horses, it was, you know, you want to get it, get the job done and you have an hour, you know, or less or something to work on them. And now I've learned that like, like you said, you can go deeper, but you can't, you don't want to go too fast. You know, you, you can what did you say? Oh, you you can't go too deep. You can only go too fast. Yeah. So, so I've learned that you can replace, you can substitute time for pressure. So rather than going a little bit deeper, you can go a little slower and wait more, and then you'll get even better results and it'll be less uncomfortable for the horse. And when I was working on horses more, working on show horses or even teaching, I realized I was going too fast then too. When I don't work on as many horses, now when I do work on a horse, I don't have any time thing. It's not like I got to get this one done and get the next one done. And I slow down. I'll just do a very little and get huge releases. And then I don't have to keep going. I can just stop and then come back later and do more. And it works even better. So the time replaces pressure thing is pretty helpful. That's extremely helpful. That's a good mantra. I am a constant, like trying to do too much, you know, with pretty much everything in life. You mean but, you're, you mean so, you're human? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, said, yeah. But just realizing that doing less is more is, I mean, it sounds simple. It's a little cliche, but boy, it's really true. And, mm-hmm. and just another thing that I love about your work that you really talk about noticing the reactions. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's the slow part, which I think that alone is paradigm shifting for so many people. But then when you pair that with the noticing the reactions, actions i'm just thinking about the shutdown horse and this whole concept of like relational attunement which i've heard dr dan siegel has written some really interesting books about attunement and how people relate and how we're designed to co-regulate and connect with people and animals like all sentient beings are basically designed to connect one of the take-home points that i got because like his stuff is way over my head but the one thing that i really got out of that was just the seeing and being seen and when i hear you talking about no noticing this subtle movement of the eye, a little twitch of the mouth, to me, that encapsulates that, you know, and that, especially for these therapy horses, I mean, for every horse, but when we're talking about the shutdown horses, I just feel like they're just, they got their back, they're in the corner, I just feel like they're just like, nobody sees me. I'm just like a tool here. I'm just hanging out. Just, yeah, they're so sensitive. I mean, they're a huge creature and they can be hugely physical and dangerous at the same time. They're so sensitive and subtle at the same time. So it's recognizing that part, I think, for a lot of people. The thing about the body work in general is it gets results. When you release tension in the horse, you get better movement, you get better performance, and you start to realize how much is going on in your horse's body. Probably, you know, as much as is going on in ours, maybe even more, but a lot of what's going on in our bodies, we don't even, not aware of, but... Anyways, there are certain disciplines and sports that are, you know, catch on to this pretty quickly. And then there are other ones that don't catch on so quickly, like roping or team roping. You know, those are, you know, a lot of men do those sports and and a lot of women do the other sports. So they catch on quicker to this. I mean, so many horses, when I do get a chance to go work on or I have in the past, they have a lot going on, you know, and a lot of one-sidedness too. So, but as long as they, they can get on, the rider can get on and do their job. That's all they really are interested in. They're not interested in, can my horse be more comfortable doing his job or may, maybe he'll even be better if you give it a chance, you know, and really that's the old style of working with horses, I guess. Right. Now you brought up another interesting paradox, something that we've certainly dealt with, just is that performance and connection world and how some 
there's a bit of a, a gulf there. And I know you kind of talk a lot about your lack of formal training, but I've also heard you say you worked on like 50 horses a week for years on end, <laughs> but those are all in performance settings. And I just, I yeah. wonder like, where are you at now in that dichotomy? Like, do you just really have a foot in both worlds? I don't work on a lot of horses because it's not how I, you know, it's not how I make a living now. I can make a living by teaching people how to do it. But working on the show jumpers, I was really fortunate to hook up with a guy who had a bodywork business in Wellington, Bill Stanton. When I first went down to Wellington with our show barn and I was grooming and we go down there every winter for, we started out in the Midwest. So we would do like Mason City, Iowa, Columbia, Missouri. We go over to Lexington, which was the big time in the spring and then in the fall for the pony finals. And then as the riders got better, then the trainer started going out farther and we'd ended up going to Ocala. Then we ended up going to Wellington, which was like the Mecca of the, the, the hunter jumper world every winter. That's about when I started my working on horses, when I decided I would haul the horses down there for Val. I wouldn't groom. She would bring another groom, but I would haul them down and then I would stay there for the season and work on horses. And then I would haul them back. For and when I was building, trying to build up my bodywork business, you know, it was struggling along and maybe doing six horses a week or something. And like, I remember talking, calling my wife and saying, Hey, she said, how many horses do you work? I was so excited. I worked on six horses this week and then i was working for a farrier too at the same time show farrier there he was really good and i would pull shoes and help keep things cleaned up for him while he shod these horses and he was friends with a guy named bill stanton who was a vet tech for a really big veterinary practice on the east coast dr Steele's practice so bill had been his vet tech for 20 years and bill was also inspired by this chiropractor guy and bill wanted to go out and do body work on horses so he left the vet practice he was afraid he was going to have to start over again and build his business but he immediately had like 300 clients, you know, because of his time with Dr. Steele. And he didn't want to hire somebody to work with him because they're, you know, he's that kind of competition, you know, you don't want to share your secrets. You don't want to share your clients. And since Bill knew Kenny, the farrier, and I was working for Kenny. And then he said, why don't you have Jim work for you? So I went to work for Bill and went from six horses a week to 12 the first day that I worked with Bill. And so I, I did that for nine years. So it was a huge education, you know, just working on that many horses is a huge education on what works, what doesn't work, how the tension patterns build in the horse, what causes them, you know, because everything in the body is caused by something with horses, show horses, it's feet, sore feet a lot, mm -hmm. dental issues, saddle fit, the rider rides their conditioning. So I learned a lot about that because if you can help the owner or the trainer find out what's causing the tension in the body and you can, they can remedy it, then that problem won't show up again. And feet are a, are a huge thing, especially for some reason with jumpers. So that was my point. It was a huge education to be able to do that. And so when I started teaching it, I was able to start to share that. So teaching is just sharing it. That's how I ended up where I am today, which is not working on a lot of horses. So I'm not really involved in the competition world anymore. And I'm not competitive anyways. I wasn't really into the competition when I was working on show horses. I was just into to being successful and then helping the horses move better for the client. I forget what the question was, but that's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Another big boost for me is I worked on, while I was down in Ocala, I worked on Val Canavy was an endurance rider and she's a two-time world champion. And in 2000, Five, I worked on her horses in Ocala and she liked the results. So I worked on them whenever I went to Ocala. And then in 2006, they made her the chef to keep of the U.S. endurance team for the world equestrian games. And so she asked me to go to Germany with them to work on the team horses. And so they would pay my way and, you know, all my expenses and I didn't get paid for it, but I jumped at it. So I got into endurance that way. And that was my first endurance event was the World Equestrian Games in Aachen, Germany. So, you know, I realized, well, it's nice to start at the top and work your way down sometimes. But 
Um, so I got exposed to that too. So I was in two, two worlds of competition, mostly hunter jumper and then the endurance, but I'm not really competitive. So neither of them was really, I wasn't involved in the sports other than that. And so I think your question was, do I have one foot in the performance world and one in this world? And I really don't have a foot in the performance world other than what I learned and, and I'm able to share. Yeah. Yeah. You got all that time on your hands in that world and, mm -hmm. and learn so much. We're really enjoying working more and like the equine assists the services world now after having mm -hmm. a, a pretty long career in performance worlds we come from the western world i don't have as much experience with that fancy hunter jumper stuff that like you do yeah right <laughs> yeah <laughs> all their boots are shiny yeah. and everything and then they all wear the same little outfit <laughs> horses are tacked up the same so anyway see i get you yeah <laughs> the western yeah. world is a little different but i don't know what western sports were you involved in Victoria had a, a long apprenticeship and uh, rain cow horse and some cutting and raining, you know, all that stuff. Not, you know, I mean, definitely different outfits, but mm -hmm. especially in the last several years, I think it's becoming just as fancy in its own aesthetic, uh -huh. but just as much money yeah. and just mm -hmm. as fancy for sure. Just so. as much. Yeah. Just as much money and that kind of drive to win. Yep. And, you know, which sometimes the horse falls by the wayside, you know, the, the well-being of the horse is a little bit sometimes substituted for that for winning yeah raining and rain cow horse is another sport like that's a really rough sport on the horse i mean that they're doing the same thing over and over again i think a smart trainer will will cross train you know and, and do different things not just drill the horse in spinning and sliding <laughs> and what you know the main things that some sports take endurance riders it's interesting over the years i've seen that they've they start to do dressage lessons mm -hmm. because it helps them as a rider learn how to ride in a more balanced way because endurance is you know you just go for whatever the you know the event is 100 miles 50 miles 25 miles in a straight line and then the horses get incredibly sore but they found that if they do dressage lessons their horses stay more flexible they get some lateral movement and they the horse learns how to use itself in a more balanced way you know not like drilling dressage it's like cross training yep. for the horse and the rider mm. so i think that's really helpful if you're doing any sport is to do something not just drill the horse in the same thing all the time yeah i couldn't agree more that's what i i'm really spoiled i get to work with victoria who's so great with horses and we do basically a combination of certain therapeutic groundwork and body work just uh -huh. to your point i think that's a really nice combo to you know add some movement into that oh and to, yeah jillian kreinbring i'm starting to do some things with her and she does this amazing groundwork to keep the horse connected and limber yeah. you know it's almost like body work from the ground in movement so exactly. It's super important. It really yeah. is. Yeah. There's these ancient mystical orders that have classical <laughs> roots, but they didn't really go to the traditional performance realms uh, that we've kind of discovered more recently too. That sounds like what you're talking about. It's really mm -hmm. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. I, I heard that you had a, an experience with meditation at one point in your life and mm -hmm. something that we found really helped some of the folks that we work with is just some simple breath work, real simple stuff can really help get you uh -huh. in a, a place where you can slow down and, and feel that stuff that you're teaching with the bladder meridian technique. And I was just mm -hmm. curious if you had any thing to speak about that or is that something that yeah you know? no it, it, it it's uh i think it's really helpful so i was when i was 22 i moved to alaska when i got out of high school well i went there when i was 20 or 19 anyways i was working on the pipeline <laughs> and a friend of mine that i was living with who lived up there he got me up there he came back to the house one day he said i just learned tm you know and it's this amazing transcendental meditation this amazing form of meditation he said you should learn it 
So, so I learned PM in back then in the seventies, I've meditated on and off, you know, since then, but in where I live now in Fairfield, Iowa, I came here in 1985 just to stop and visit because he'd moved back down here. And Fairfield is a pretty big center for the transcendental meditation movement. Maharishi International University is here. I visited here and then I stayed a couple of years and I've come and gone from here over, over the years. And I ended up here, I've been here 87 and my wife is a meditator and she's also a, she was also a hunter jumper person. It's funny because, you know, I didn't get super involved in the TM movement. I learned to meditate, you know, and that was the huge benefit for me, but all of the other stuff that goes with it, you know, the cultural stuff I wasn't interested in. So meditation helps you, it, it, at least you experience mindfulness. In the short period you're meditating if you meditate twice a day or whenever for 20 minutes you experience that so then you start to recognize it i think out in the world that mindfulness so i think that helps now there's a lot of beer drinking going on in between all the times i was meditating it's not like you know it wasn't it's not like i put on a saffron robe and i'm a monk or anything but and i don't i'm not involved with the tm movement but it's learning how to meditate some form of meditation that learns that you just get to experience that silence that helps in life, you know, and then you experience it, you recognize it in the horse, maybe. I don't know. I'm sure that had something to do with it, being able to search for the blink and just wait and do nothing, like literally nothing for as long as it takes for the horse to start to let go. So that was probably help. At the end of the day, after 10 horses, though, I'm going to go have a few beers. So, sorry, that's the way it goes. <laughs> <laughs> that's harmony right <laughs> yeah harmony and integ it's integrating too you know you meditate yeah. and and then you have to go out and integrate it into life so it's just you know i look at it as a format integrating i love that because <laughs> i also like to have a beer and i also like to meditate so yeah. it's mm -hmm. nice to find your people <laughs> yeah right they're not mutually exclusive you know right? you can enjoy how you can enjoy life having a beer or whatever and then you can experience some silence so I've, I haven't reg meditated regularly for a long time. I'll just meditate every once in a while. But I recently went to the doctor to have some, you know, have him look at my shoulder. And my, my blood pressure has been going up, you know, over the last couple of years. And I'm not going to blame it on internet technology, but it's been going up. But anyways, I've been reluctant to try any medications, but he pre prescribed me some. And he said, come back in a month or so and we'll see how you're doing. And I thought, well, why don't I just start meditating again and not take these pills and then come back and see, or just check my blood pressure and see if it helps. So I've just in the last couple of weeks started meditating every day. Wow. Okay. So you're back on the meditation train. I'll be yep. excited to hear if it may, like what the difference, I know it'll make a difference, but I'll yeah. be, I'll be. Well, that's my plan is to not take these yeah. and just meditate twice a day and go, I'm be, I'll be traveling, but you know, that doesn't matter. And the next month and then come back and see, see if it's going down, but it'd be cool to go back in and he can say, oh, the medication is working. And, and I said, well, the meditation's working, not the medication, because I haven't taken any, but that's my fun plan. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> Keep us posted. Yeah. That'll be interesting. Okay. I've seen like one of those posters, you know, or it was just like a bottle full of different colored pills and it was mm -hmm. like this or then just like somebody meditating. And, mm -hmm. and so I'm hoping that works for you. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I know it does, you know, TM does help a lot of people with high blood pressure. So you kind of ended up in like the TM American headquarters area too. And that, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's a neat town. It's a small town, you know, it's 10,000 people and it's an Iowa town. It's just a small Iowa town, but I like small town life. Things are un not as expensive, you know, people at the supermarket, you know, the guy at the gas station, you know, you just know everybody and it's just a nicer lifestyle. So that just small town life 
and we, you know, we're out right on the edge of town and we have 17 acres and we're just a mile from town. And when I used to drive my horses there, I have two Morgans, they're re retired now too, but I could drive into town and tie them up at the gas station and go in and have coffee with my buddies. And there was a nice restaurant that had a nice tree outside and I could go in and tie them to the tree and give them a hay net and go have a few beers and they're right outside the window there. So you really can't do that in Southern California anymore, I don't think. So. Wow. It's a neat little Iowa town, but it has that added quality of having like-minded people that are meditators or used to be meditators or in, they're into some other, something else, but it's kind of a cool little mix. Yeah. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. I, the little bit I've been around meditation communities, I've noticed they tend to be really good cooks. I think it's like all that, like, you know, <laughs> not doing your senses. So then they just like go wild with the food. And so there's like mm -hmm. great bakeries and amazing cooks oh, yeah. and great yeah, restaurants yeah. and stuff like that. I, we're going to finish up with just a couple more questions, but Jim, do you have any projects or I know you're going to be traveling and you actually have a lot going on. How can people follow you? What should people pay attention to? How do they get in touch with you? Is there anything you want to? I was afraid you were going to ask that question. <laughs> okay, I'll let it out. We have a website. Oh, wow. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. And we have a Facebook page. That's the way to find out more. If you're interested in finding out more is to go to the website or go to the Facebook page. And I do a newsletter every month that I think is funny, but I don't know if everybody thinks it's funny. Yeah, that's probably the main thing. I mean, we have a lot of stuff on our YouTube channel, like free stuff. I put stuff on YouTube, how to do things with your horses, certain techniques that you can just go try it and see if you like it. And if you like it, if you like it and your horse likes it and you want to learn more, then you can go on the website and buy the book and DVD. And then if you try it some more and you like it and you want to learn more, you can do a weekend seminar. We have them all over the country and all over, well, and Europe and Australia and South Africa. So, you know, I don't like want people to buy a book or do a course if they're not going to like it. So my philosophy is put it out there and share it. And if people want to learn more, they'll come and learn more. And some people will just do a weekend and wow, I love this. And they'll just go off and run with that. But then other people want to do more. So well, they can go to an advanced course if they want to do that. Great. Yeah. We'll link all that too. And and anything we put out around yeah. this episode and we get the newsletter thing josh like often we have a newsletter too and josh mm -hmm. is always like spends a ridiculous amount of time crafting <laughs> these like yeah i do masterpieces. too i'm out loud to my own <laughs> jokes yeah yeah that's exactly that's why i like doing them and so i have yeah. to make time to do them sometimes but yeah. one, I, it's hard to get started but then once i get started i end up just i'm entertaining myself like you said cra crafting the newsletter it's a creative endeavor and yeah. you have a huge, a big audience. We have not so big of a, as big of an audience, but it, it'll grow. That's the way yeah. it works, you know, because I was ready to give up early on. You know, I just have a hard time finding people that were really getting it. And then I remember calling my wife from Florida and she says, you know, if you're, if you enjoy doing it, stick with it. She calls it the last man standing rule. So I did. And then something broke and then took off. Well, it took off slowly but it's built right. up to here but it kept going it kept getting better and better more and more people were learning about it so. yeah mm. cool. i know it takes time and I, we're going to get to our last three questions i got so many other things i want to talk to you about but hopefully we'll get a chance another time to yeah we could do this again if you like to <laughs> so if you had to distill what's important about horses to only three things what would they be well yeah everything's important about horses so that would be the first thing <laughs> and I don't remember the other two. So. Love it. <laughs> Wonderful. Their silence is, I think, really important. That's good. 
Yeah. That's really. Of cool. course, that's not the thing at the top of your mind when you're racing down the rail, <laughs> raining cow horse, <laughs> chasing a, <laughs> a steer, you know, but that's probably not what's in the front of your mind. But anyways, that's what's important to me. About it. You know, you say that, but I, you know, the times when I was doing that a lot, the runs that worked the best were the runs where the faster I was sending the horse, the faster the cow was going, the slower mm -hmm. I got. And it's oh, almost okay. like time stood still. And like, you know, that was when things worked well uh -huh. and were yeah. and actually were pretty and felt good. And uh -huh. I could get out of the horse's way and let him make the turn. So there's something to that, actually, mm -hmm. even in those faster sports that are a little more. Yeah, yeah, you can be present and conscious while you're doing something like that. And in fact, it's an amazing practice not to go off, but it's like, that's probably one of the things I loved most about that sport in particular was it was like a very difficult practice mm -hmm. that like was fun to try to do in that, in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's exciting too. I, I think horses like excitement, you know, they like an adrenaline rush. They like it. They like that. You know, it's not like they just want to stand around and eat all day. Even in the wild, they, you know, what's their main thing to do? Eat and reproduce but yeah. they still like you know, they like some excitement they like to get in a little tussle or they like to get spooked and run off and then turn around and hey everything's fine so it's not like yeah. the the i think those partnerships with horses where you're competing are probably a lot of that i think the horse likes you know they especially if you're a little bit aware of what's going on with your horse's body i think physically or mentally or emotionally i'm not saying that it's all got to be quiet and peaceful and just munching on grass for a horse i think they do like some mm -hmm. challenge and excitement they like routine they they definitely like routine which training does and they like partnership so they like to partner with, yeah. with humans or horses yeah okay so when it comes to horses someone or something you feel gratitude for I don't know. Well, there's you know certain events. You know, I feel gratitude for being able to follow those the chiropractor and those massage therapists and hooking up with Bill Stanton and hooking up with the interns with Valerie Knivy. You know, a lot of things. Not just because I could learn more, but you know, at the time I was happy I could make a living. And then I started teaching at seminars early on. You know, and so I was glad I could share it. So all of those things that I was able to learn from, I'm able to share, and I'm able to make a living and help horses at the same time by sharing it and people you know it's not just about the horses it's about the people that's pretty great i have gratitude for tm and beer and there are a lot of things okay last question one word to describe the kind of horse person you aspire to be <laughs> i like questions where i don't have to think where i already it's just in there ready to come out so just good i guess good horse person uh, if you've ever heard of father richard Rohrer, he says wonderful author and he said the three transcendental truths were good beautiful and true so uh -huh. good is like okay. real like yeah. it's it means a yeah. lot yeah i'm a third of the way there then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well jim i thank you so much for your time here today i just want to recognize yeah. your teaching spirit and the impact you've had on so many people and so many horses and just to think about how that ripples <laughs> through time and space <laughs> and all the different people it's just fantastic you know you didn't keep your trade secrets mm -hmm. secret. You put them up on YouTube. Mm -hmm. You had the foresight to put out a book and a DVD training before anybody was mm -hmm. even really thinking about that yeah. stuff. And you still find time to sit down with yeah. a couple of people from Oregon <laughs> that you don't really know uh, on your <laughs> Sunday. So I just really appreciate that yeah. and, and all your good work yeah, out there. Thank you. And it's been a pleasure talking to you and getting to know you a little bit yeah. better. Yeah, I enjoyed this too. So it was a nice way to spend a Sunday morning. 
Thank you for joining us on the Herd is Calling podcast. Remember, you can learn more about our programs and our community at myhorsejourney.com. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. That would help us tremendously. We appreciate you listening. And as always, may the horse be with you.